Hey everybody and welcome to a very special episode of How I Built It. My 100th episode came out earlier this year and my original plan for it was to have somebody interview me, uh, kind of, you know, turning the tables uh, where they are the host and I'm the guest. Unfortunately, I couldn't get something like that done in time due to schedules and and a bunch of things. But my friend Jeff Large uh, recently reached out to me and asked if it was something I'd be interested in doing. Naturally, I said yes. So he listened to the 100th episode and then asked me a bunch of follow-up questions, digging into uh, my history as a web worker and a podcaster and an educator. And of course, he asked me if I have any trade secrets. And I really think that it's a good one uh, that I've, I really haven't shared on this show before. So uh, if nothing else, be sure to listen to uh, at least the trade secret part. So uh, that's it. There's no sponsors or anything like that in this episode. This is a bonus episode. And with that, I will turn it over to Jeff. Hello and welcome to How I Built It the show where we interview product owners and developers about how they built specific products from idea to execution. I am your honorary guest host and podcaster, Jeff Large. My guest today is someone you know and love if you've been listening to this show for any amount of time. He is a college professor, online course teacher, and web developer of over 17 years, and the otherwise normal host of How I Built It, Joe Casabona. Joe, welcome to your show. Thanks, Jeff. I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is kind of funny. We we jumped on just context for the audience. We were were friends in real life. We were talking on Slack, and I pitched the idea to him that to kind of end the year, uh, we did an interview. And then you were actually just telling me that you wish you would have done this, or you wish you would have reached out to me already for episode 100. Yeah, I had this grand vision of somebody interviewing me for episode 100, but then a lot of things happened, and I was just like delayed and so I was like I don't want to have to try to schedule somebody and rush and so I just kind of did like a scripted version of that but I'm I'm very happy that we we get to do this because I think uh well I I love I would love to answer questions that people have about the show yeah yeah no 100% and then especially if you have listened to episode 100 already I just listened to it and Use that a little bit as a launching point, but we're definitely going to get into, you and I were talking beforehand, I want to get into more of your actual business. Like the podcast is one side of it, and I kind of have a feeling that it's a little more of the marketing piece opposed to the actual money-making business parts of it itself. And so for you to be running this show for so long and to be interviewing so many amazing people, I kind of assume that your listener base would like to know a little more detail than you probably share on a regular basis about what's really going on about your journey, about the stuff behind the scenes. And that's some of what I want to get into with you. Awesome. That sounds great. All right. So to begin with, this is something that I like to ask people on my own show. You're responsible for multiple things, like I alluded to in the intro. How do you normally introduce yourself? So this has actually changed recently. I, I used to tell people I'm a front-end developer that also teaches and podcasts. Um, but over the last few months, people have asked me, like, how come you're not telling people that you're a college professor? How come you're not telling people that you created these accredited college courses? And so now I say I'm a, a college-accredited uh, professor who creates online courses, a front-end developer, and a podcaster. So I think that captures a little bit better uh, my 
core competencies and, and the stuff I'm focusing on a lot more now. Do you feel like one thing I, I was wondering about even that sort of branding, the word college accredited, has that made a difference? Like do people, does your audience and the people that you're your target audience, do they actually get it? Because even for me being in the education space, I kind of had to double, like you saying I'm a college professor registered, but college accredited course creator and professor sort of threw me off a little bit. It almost felt too wordy. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because um, I was just talking to a uh, coaching uh, client that I got recently who basically hired me because of my college background. And she asked, what do you mean by college accredited? So um, I think perhaps I, 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 in a future bio, will remove that and then just mention that I've developed like middle states accredited college courses because that's really what I mean, right? Is that... Mm-hmm. I have developed courses for at the college level that have gone through the rigor of getting certified and accredited. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, cause I think that is a really valid point. And so I, I don't want to discredit it. I just felt like the, the wording, the wording of it didn't mean anything to me. I was like, what mm-hmm. is, what does this mean? And so that's why I was kind of curious because you do get set apart in the sense of like, I don't know. You you and I have talked about this as well. This is a tangent for a second, but it seems like in in some circles and some some aspects of the people online to be an expert, all you have to do is say, "I'm an expert," <laughs> and that's very frustrating for the people that actually know what they're talking about. And for you to have these credentials, where you have a master's degree, you've been teaching at a collegiate level, um, it seems like to be able to convey that in some way is important. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of people, I have fallen into this myself too oh, I do something and now I can teach it, right? Um, so, oh, I built a single website with some WordPress plugin. Therefore, I am qualified to teach a course on it. Uh, and I, I've tried to step back from that a little bit, but I do want to convey to people that I'm a web developer, but I've got all of these 10 years experience teaching college students and developing college courses where, you know, people are learning a real tangible skill for their professional life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big deal. So to run down your background then, because I want to focus a little bit more on how you built the business that you have like today and this year. But to, to give context for the listener, if this is someone new or maybe they don't know, um, I'm going to run, run down and feel free to correct or uh, clarify anything that I'm saying. You have your degree in information technology and a master's in software engineering. You originally got into web development when you were 15. Um, For your church, you built your first $200 website. You have been teaching college-level courses since 2007, so a little over 10 years now. And you spent a significant amount of time, you worked for Crowd Favorite building enterprise-level websites. So this means like really big sites for important people is kind of what that comes down to. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until it looks like last year, so June of 2017, that you left Crowd Favorite in order to pursue your own projects. Is that a good snapshot? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've kind of, you know, as you mentioned, I've been freelancing since I was 15. Uh, But the whole, like the full-time business with real stakes, let's say, right? Because uh, like right after college, I freelanced a little bit before getting a job at my alma mater. But uh, I have a family and rent and bills and stuff now uh, that I've been doing full time since June 17, uh, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And that that is a, a big difference. Is there anything 
I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but what do you feel like were a few, three at the most, top takeaways from that period of time, from the time that you sort of got your feet wet, you got into web development, started teaching, you were working for this big company. What were a couple things that you were able, the wisdom that you were able to take with you from that experience as you started your own thing? That's a great question. Uh, And the first bit of advice is something I got from uh, Mr. Joe Rizzi. He owned the deli that I worked for. I am a stereotypical New York Italian. So of course I worked for a deli. And, uh, is your accent going to come out in the story? It, it might a little bit. We'll see. I'll try to keep it. I'll try to keep it to a low burn. Um, he, when I first started making websites, I was charging ten dollars an hour, and he's like, he. I told him this, and he said, Joey, do you do good work? And I said, Yeah. He goes, Why are you only charging ten dollars? And I'm like, Because I don't think people are willing to pay that much more. And he said, If people see your prices are too low then you, then they won't go with you. They won't think that you have good quality. Uh, and so that was the first time I raised my rates to $25 an hour. Um, and that advice, and basically all of our conversations, like I would always stay and clean up on Saturdays and he would give me business advice. But that was my first big takeaway is that price communicates value uh, and that people don't just want to, like real people, don't just want to go for the lowest price. They want to go for the price that will deliver the most value for them. So that was, I think, a fir- like one of my first big lessons. Um, the second big lesson I got is something I was told uh, when I was about 21 or 22 and didn't realize until I was about 30 uh, because you don't know anything in your early 20s, right? And, and that was from a family friend who said, look, Joe, I know that you want to start your own business and that's great and everything, but when you get out of college, you should go work for a company in the same line of work that you do. You can network, you can learn those processes, you can get real world experience. And then when you go out on your own, you've built up this network of people who then you can tap into. And I thought, I don't need to follow that advice. I know what I'm talking about. I'm in my early 20s, I know everything. Uh, and then when I was about 30, I'm working for Crowd Favorite and seeing all of the things that I didn't know, I thought, man, that was, that was advice that I wish that I took. Uh, so those were two lessons I learned in my teens and early 20s that, that helped shape my business. And the third bit of advice came... Uh, towards the end of my time at Crowd Favorite, maybe like right after I left Crowd Favorite, uh, and that was that your messaging needs to be right. Uh, and and I guess to expand on that, all of my client work has kind of been word of mouth since since fifteen. My first paying gig was my first gig because my church said we'll pay you. I did. I didn't even make websites. Like they were just like, "Can you make us a website?" And I said, "No." And they said, "We'll pay you." And I was like, "Okay." So I didn't. I never learned the lesson of the hard-fought client, or at least not not really. Uh, and that is something that I've learned over the last two years: is that people who don't know me, I need to gain their trust first before they're they're willing to give me any money because my cheapest courses are twenty bucks, twenty four bucks. And if they don't trust me, they're not going to hand over that 20 bucks. So 
uh, I think those are maybe the three best lessons that I've learned over the last 17 years. Cool. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. And then for context, if you don't mind sharing, how old are you? I'm 33. Okay. All right, cool. So that gives us a little more of a, a timeline. So that moment then, tell me about the moment that you knew you needed to leave crowd favorite. I, this is something that I remember in a haze of not remembering much because it was a couple of months after my daughter was born. Uh, she was our first, she still is our first. And I was doing a lot of things. First of all, crowd favorite generously gave me one month paid family leave. That's not something that you see everywhere, especially for the guy. Uh, my friend who just had a kid said he had one day uh, and, and that is insane. So, but that's grandstanding. Um, so I had a month off where I got to spend time with my family and I got to work on my own projects. And I really liked that. And then about two days before I came back, about a week before I came back, somebody put a meeting on my calendar for before I was supposed to come back. And I was like, Hey, I'm still on family leave. And she's like, can you just, and I said, no. Um, and then when I got back, everyone was like, Hey, we're real glad you're back. And I'm like, that's not a great sign. Um, so I got handed these four projects. I had just got a promotion. I got handed four projects, uh, that needed some love to put it nicely. And so I had a newborn. I had, uh, my side business, which was these courses and the podcast. And then I was doing the agency life. So I was working until two, three, four in the morning just to get up at eight, seven, eight do it again if I didn't get up with the baby at all. Uh, and I know that Gary V endorses that lifestyle, but I don't. Uh, and so I thought, all right, well, I either need to give up my side hustle, spend less time with my family, or quit my full-time job and prefer this or pursue this full-time. I had some conversations with some friends, and I thought, I can do this. Uh, so I gave my notice in May, and I left in June. How far after then, you, if you gave your, you left in June, you gave your notice, when, from the time that you gave your notice, how far after since when you went back? Like you went back, period of time, you gave mm. your notice. How long was that time frame? Yeah, yeah, good question. So my daughter was born on March 6th of 2017. Oh. I had a month off, so I came back on April 6th, April 7th, something like that. So I mean, it was within a month then of coming back. Yeah, I, I realized pretty quickly because that whole month I was like, this is so nice. I'm working on my own stuff. It's making some money. I'm doing really well. Uh, to be totally frank, uh, the, you know, this was at a time where a lot of WordPress agencies were having trouble getting work. And so some paychecks were delayed. And I thought, I'm not suffering at all because I'm bringing in enough money from my side work. Um, and then we got to a point where it was like, finish this project or payment will be delayed again. Um, and I was like, I, I would just work for myself if I had to do that. Like, I'm mm -hmm. working for a company, so I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, and again, this, is, this was not a strictly crowd favorite thing. This was something that was common among a lot of WordPress agencies at that time. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I knew pretty quickly uh, that I either had to just work myself to the bone at, at this job, this agency job, uh, and lose time with my family or, you know, see if I could make my own kind of lifestyle business and mm -hmm. spend time with my family and make enough money to, to support the family as well. 
What was it like to submit that notice? How about that? It was a little... So, it was tough in some regard. Um, but I was also... I was also already unhappy. And so I knew I had to give the notice soon if I didn't want to end up completely resenting crowd favorite because I wouldn't be where I am today without crowd favorite. Like the skills that I developed and the network that I developed um, while at crowd favorite has done wonders for me since then. And I didn't want to end up resenting the company. Uh, So I spoke to uh, the then CTO, I guess he still is the CTO and I kind of aired my grievances a little bit. I said, look, um, agency life was great when I was a single man, right? I didn't mind staying up super late to do work. I didn't have any much of anything else going on. But if I miss my daughter's first steps because I had to work late, uh, that's not something I'm okay with. Um, and, and he was so cool about it. He was like, well, I guess there's no convincing you. Uh, we're going to miss you. And I, I wish you all the luck in the world. And we're still, I mean, I'm still friends with everybody at the company. You know, there was no bad blood there, but, uh, it was, they were cool and, and super understanding. Um, and I think that I happily got out before I, I was mad about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, I mean, overall, it sounds like it was a pretty, I, I wouldn't want to say easy. It sounds like it was like a understandable and okay decision to make. Yeah. And of course I had conversations with my wife. Um, going out and starting your own business with a three-month-old is not desirable, especially because my wife was still on maternity leave. Um, and you know, FMLA only covers so much. And so I was like, we're going to be only my income for a while, like in this brand new business. And, uh, and, and she was fully supportive because she saw, you know, she saw how much doing all three was wearing on me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely tough. I just look back at even my own experience and having that having to turn in that letter and having a family that depends on you i think at the time we were a single single income family and we had i don't know what your situation was like we had i think about six months worth of savings and then my wife and i were kind of running like sort of the stoic philosophy of okay what's worst case scenario i have to go back to work in six months like if i get no jobs whatsoever all right let's do it i mean did you did you have some money in the bank or did you have any much any much of a runway at that time yeah, we had about the same. Um, okay. And granted, that was also money we were saving for a house. So I was reluctant to have to pull from that. Um, but yeah, I basically said, look, the money we have in our savings will get us through December. If I just completely fail at this, um, worst case scenario, I'll get a job. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Definitely scary. And I, I wanted to dig into it just because I know other people, I'm sure there's listeners that you have, like your listener right now might be debating this and it's definitely a big jump and it's a scary jump. And sometimes you hear about, I think the more romanticized version is when it's like, I was making more money in my side hustle than I was at my job. So I just knew, forget you people, I'm doing the side hustle. But like when in reality, most of us are like, eh, here we go. Yeah, uh, I was definitely helping make ends meet with my side hustle but it was definitely better as a side hustle than as a full-time job at that point yeah because any money on top of my salary and my wife's salary was great right that was just extra money Mm -hmm. but now but then it was like hey this is the only money we're making for a little bit Mm -hmm. um 
I, I probably had a better first year than most, but I've also been doing this for a decade and a half in some capacity. I've mm-hmm. had, I have a big network. I mean, I'm, I'm a very outgoing guy and uh, everybody I meet, I talk to, I know their story. You asked me a podcast movement, like, are, do you consider yourself a connector? And I, I didn't, but now I do. Right. I, I like connecting people. I like knowing people and um and I do good work. And so that's kind of helped me uh more do more than just start from scratch or ground zero. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so I think I, I've probably had a better first full year than many and I've been able to support my family and my wife is not saying you need to find a job. Uh a, a real job, heavy quotes. Um but yeah, it is it's a grind. It's like there are some slow months where you're like, am I doing the right thing? Uh, mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's just keep that in mind if you're going to start your own business. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, on that vein, then you leave. How did you know what the first thing to work on was? Luckily, I had that lined up before I even gave my notice. Um, I spoke to my friend Sean Hesketh from WP101. And I just laid it out, like laid it all out on the line. I'm like, Sean, I don't know what to do. This, this job is killing me. I'm doing too much. I'm sleep deprived because of the baby. And and I want to go out on my own, but I don't know where to start. And he said, how much money would you need to get started? And I gave him a number and he said, I think I can give you that much in work. So, um, yeah, right after I left, we got started on, you know, collaborative, courses that I did for WP 101. And um, that really meant a lot to me because I was able to make some, make the income I needed while also working on my branding, uh, working on the podcast. Um, Liquid Web has also generously sponsored this show for a few years or for a few seasons and their full season sponsorship hit in July of uh, the July after I left. And so Sean and liquid web kind of floated me through the end of the year, really. Uh, and that gave me enough runway to, to really understand what I needed to do with my business. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Do you feel like you would have been able to, I mean, I guess that's hypothetical. I'll, I'll, I don't never, think so. I, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. Um, but that goes back to the network that I built, right? I've known Sean and Chris Lemma from, from liquid web since Pressnomics 2 uh, in 2014. And I've maintained that relationship and they know the quality of the work I do and they trust that mm-hmm. and I deliver for them. Um, so, you know, it seemed like luck at the time, like we hit at the right time, but those were relationships. And uh, I mean, also they're both insanely gen- generous. Don't get me wrong, but they're running businesses too and they have families to support. So, um, you know, those were relationships that I cultivated over three years or so that, mm-hmm. um, that I've been able to work with them and partner with them. Uh, mm-hmm. Luckily still today. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be a common thread that'll probably come back up because it's even something I, I just had jumped on a call with a, a friend of mine who's acted as a advisor here and there. And then I haven't talked to him in probably a year and a half, but I just had a question come up that I knew he was the key person for and emailed him and I was like, Hey, can we chat? And even some of the advice that he gave me was just building those more long-term relationships. And it's not even, it's not even like, it's, it's sort of weird because on one hand, you know, 
you're probably going to benefit from it. But at the same time, it's like, that's not why you're doing it. Like you're doing it because they're cool people and you want to be part of that group. Like you want to be part of that network because you know there's things that you can contribute and you know there's things that you're going to gain. And like, hopefully it's like the rising tide philosophy. Like everybody's going to benefit from being able to rub shoulders with one another. Yeah, definitely. And again, I was on a, a coaching call right before this and um, I feel a little bit weird sometimes like just taking someone's money uh, for them to ask me questions and it's not like but it is a service and I'm saving them time but uh, she said the best uh, the best relationships are win-win I'm getting a lot from you you're getting a lot from me we shouldn't feel bad about you know benefiting Um, and and I agree I think that if you are doing it for the wrong reason it's super obvious like I used to run a meetup group in Scranton and this guy came to the meetup group and he, he just looked smarmy and he just went over and shook everybody's hand and gave everybody his card and then left. Like you're not there for the community. You're there to try to, you know what piggyback off, like just make money off of these people you just met. Like it's uh, people see right through that. Mm -hmm. Um, even if they don't realize it, you know, if they're like, something's off about this dude, I don't, he's not somebody I I think I want to work with, but, if you're genuine and you want to help, then people see that too. Yeah. Yeah. Just be a good human. Yeah. Just, be a good human. Yeah. So, so much of life comes back <laughs> to be a good human. All right. That's awesome. So kind of, I want to, I want to fast forward now. So we, we had this, you, you were able to sort of float that first year, start to get your legs underneath you with it. When do you feel like you had your first major breakthrough of something, um, I don't want to discredit what you what you gave us. So, so having Sean come in, having uh, Liquid Wed come in and, and help in certain ways, not that you didn't earn it, but it definitely, there's a sort of a reciprocity there. What was the first project or the first thing that you came across where you were like, this is my doing and it's working? Yeah, that's a great question because you're absolutely right. Um, even like as recent as over the summer, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I actually know what I'm doing. Um, but I think the first big hit for that was I did some work with WordPress VIP in January, January, February. Uh, they reached out because of the courses for Gutenberg that Zach and I did and they liked it. And we were first to market. Sure. But they knew that we were good educators and they wanted to bring us on to create educational content for their clients. And I thought, well, this is great. Like, I mean, Automatic and WordPress VIP are reaching out to us uh, and for the work that we did. But also at the price that we gave them, uh, they said, all right, well, that's above our budget, but we definitely know that we're, we know what you're worth. We understand what you're worth. So can we just cut some stuff to get it within the right budget? And that was so much better than just saying, I can't afford you, right? Which is what a lot of freelancers probably hear. Well, can you do it for less? No, the way that they handled it was they were like, we understand the, the quality of the work that you're giving us. And this is a mutually, you know, we, this could be a win-win, right? For both of us. Um, and right there, I was like, I think this is going to be a good year. Like, uh, it happened in January. Uh, and, um, you know, I, 
it it made me feel good about the rest of the year. And I'm I'm pretty optimistic as we end 2018, moving into 2019, that I've learned enough to continue that trend and 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 finding the right people to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's really that's really great news. And I think just even as a freelancer, if you're a freelancer listening to this, it's like don't discount like remove aspects of the project if that's what you have to do. And sometimes you won't get a prospect or a client that's as gracious to understand and they'll just say, hey, can can we take 10% off the top? And then unfortunately, especially when you're in a tight spot or if you can be in a tight spot, you're like, uh, sure. Where it's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But what we can do is these two parts aren't necessary. And so let's go ahead and remove those. That'll get it into the price that you want. Will that work? Yeah. I'm I'm a big proponent of setting up phase two. Hey, we'll do this now. This is what we need to launch. This is our MVP. And then when you're ready and you have the budget, we can do these in phase two. You're guaranteeing yourself more work. You're working within the client's budget. And hopefully you're forming a good relationship around the first project that they want to come back to you for more. Mm-hmm. Um, I In college, I used to fix computers. And for a long time, I did it for free. So I would go visit my friend and then like her whole floor would come over and say, hey, my computer's not working. Can you help me? <laughs> and so I was like, all right, uh, I'm going to start charging. And I started charging some insanely low price, like five or 10 bucks flat. Just give me five bucks and I'll fix your computer. And most of it took less than, a, less than a half hour, right? Like I could do it pretty quickly, but nobody really wanted to pay that because we're all poor college students and they would rather, you know, frankly go and spend the money on booze. Um, and and somebody very snarkily said to me, so how's that charging five bucks for fixing computers? Are you getting a lot of money? And I'm like, nope, but I have a lot more time on my hands uh, to work on things that people actually see the value in, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. um, so definitely don't discount that. Work with people who value your work because the, those are better relationships. 100%. So to fast forward now, like we, to round about back to the beginning, you're doing some freelance work. You're creating your own courses. You have the podcast and you generate some income from that with your sponsorships. How do you see this? How's your time breaking down? Like think of it in terms of like percentages, how much, how much time percentage wise in your day, like your work day, do you dedicate to those different things? I think that I dedicate probably 60 to 70% of my time to my courses. And that's an umbrella term. That's an umbrella percentage for uh, planning and recording, uh, learning the thing that I'm teaching, right? If I'm, if I'm creating a custom course for somebody uh, and then the marketing stuff, you know, getting the marketing message, right? Building the landing page, solving, you know, communicating the problem I'm, tra- I'm trying to solve and not just what you get. Um, I think probably 60 to 70% of my time goes to that. Uh, thanks to a bunch of automations and hiring the right people, I think that podcasting probably takes up about 15 to 20% of my time. It's mostly just the interview now. Um, And again, that's thanks to automations. I'll probably, I think I touched on this in episode 100, um, but I'm going to work on a blog series about this too. Uh, And then the rest of the time, which if I do my math correctly, leaves me with uh, like 80 uh, or let's say 15 to 20%, um, maybe 20 to 30%. Uh, that's hired work. So, um, custom courses that I develop for, or custom video trainings that I develop for people who own product, uh, coaching. I've been doing more of that lately. Um, 
maybe like 33 is the magical age where people like feel you know enough to help them now or, or what, but um, I've gotten a lot more organic traffic to my, my coaching services lately. Um, and so that, I think that's probably going to be a big part of my 2019 is this one-on-one teaching style that I really like. Mm-hmm. All right. That's cool. Do, I don't need to know the, the actual numbers, but do your finances reflect the same percentages in terms of your income? No. Um, my courses probably make the least amount of money right now. Uh-huh. Um, and that's because of some lessons that I've learned this year. Um, you know, my courses would be, uh, well, let's, let's take the, my podcasting one, build a podcast website with WordPress. That doesn't really, nobody cares about that. Right. That would be like, like, uh, somebody saying, you know, learn, learn how to build a car with steel or something like that you know like I don't, <laughs> learn how cares. to draw with a pencil right exactly nobody cares about the tool that you're using people care about the problem that you're trying to solve right people are buying a solution um and so i've pivoted a lot of my copy in the last few months to reflect that so now it's you have a podcast how do you get it into the ears of people you need a good website, but I don't want to hire a developer. Well, don't you worry. My course will show you how to launch your podcast in three days. Um, oh, well, three days. That's not that much time. Uh, and great. That's the problem that's being solved. So um, I, I'm optimistic. Uh, first of all, so from 2017 to 2018, my course income quadrupled. Um, and so don't assume I'm making like a million dollars off my courses. Assume I made shockingly little off my courses in 2017 and I've gotten much more in 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm hoping to double or triple that again in 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe even more cause I, I'm, I'm working on a couple of, uh, kind of in person ish coaching courses to supplement my pre-recorded stuff. So, um, but the short answer is no, my courses make the least amount of money, but they take the most amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, However, but, but yeah. you're looking at it. What I'm hearing though, is that your business plan is for that to change, like for the courses to be able to take more of the, provide the bulk of your income. Yeah, exactly. I want to, uh, I want to teach people the things that I've learned over the last 17 years and then I want to help them if we're, you know, you can imagine a uh, freelancer takes one of my courses, maybe the Beaver Builder course. Um, they take it, they like it. Now they want to go to the next level. And now I can do one-on-one coaching with them. Um, so I want, I want to kind of fast track the site builder or the freelancer's career to accomplish in two years, maybe what I accomplished in 10 years. Yeah. That's cool. Is that built into your, this is a side question, is that built into your funnel then? So, I mean, it, do you have hopes or intent of people to go through your courses and then they all of a sudden have this opportunity to get personally coached by you? Yeah, and and again, that's kind of a change that I'm making. My 2018 was kind of the year of understanding the people on my list and in my funnels. Because uh, in 2017, I used MailChimp and, and up until recently, MailChimp didn't allow for any of that. So I got ConvertKit. And so I've had ConvertKit for a little bit over a year. I've tagged everybody appropriately. I know what my audience looks like now. 
And so, you know, in kind of the two weeks between, uh, you know, Christmas and, and uh, like right before Christmas, I guess, and right after New Year's, I'm going to spend some of that time working on my funnels uh, and, and getting my messaging right and making the next steps explicitly clear. You haven't bought a course from me. Here's some free resources. Do you like these resources? Maybe look at this course because this will really help you. You finished the course. Congratulations. What questions do you have? Maybe let's schedule a call 15 minutes and we can talk about it more. How can I get you to the next level? Like that sort of stuff. That's so big. Understanding the audience and understanding who you're talking to. It's like some of the lessons even that I've been sort of um, going over lately come more from a marketing space and more from like a really good copywriting space of stuff that I've learned from say Joanna Weeb from Copy Hackers or other people that are sort of in her group where instead of just waking up and being like, oh, I got an idea and then writing about it or just I need to sell this thing. So let me talk about it in the way that I'm going to talk about it. Spend time understanding who you're talking to, what their pain points are, the the actual language, like the verbatim phrases and words words that they're using to describe these issues and then incorporate that into what you're doing. Like care deeply about them, like care deeply about the people you're already working with, like probably even more. And then sort of secondary, start caring about that target audience of the people that you're going after and really understand their world because there is a certain amount of... uh, Some people refer to it as the curse of knowledge or things like that, where you've been in a space for a while and you just forget. You forget what it's like to learn. You forget what the problems are because it's like you're just beyond that. And it's not really even a hierarchical thing. It's it's just you're better because you've done it longer. And so you have to almost look at it like a kid or look at it how like a child would. Yeah, absolutely. And I realized that teaching in the classroom, my time teaching in the classroom has been insanely valuable to me because... One day I was like, I'm going to set all my students up on WordPress.com. They should all know this. And I talked about like your personal brand and what that means, like in the, in the 2010s. Um, And I said, okay, so here's WordPress, like here's a post and here's a page. And I went through like the stock description that I gave, because I assume everybody knows what a post and a page is. And one of my students raised her hands and said, I have no idea what you just said. Like what you said makes no sense to me. And I said, yes, let's step back. And then I brought up BuzzFeed and I said, here is a post. It's an article. Here is a page. You, you've probably never gone to the BuzzFeed about page because it's irrelevant content to you, but this is a page that never changes. Here are articles. See how they're all listed in a certain way uh, and categorized and stuff like that. And, and then it made a lot more sense to them. So um, the talk to your customers, have phone calls, that has come up with with in conversations I've had a lot this year, like don't just email them and and say like, what, like, what's your biggest problem? Actually have phone calls with them and have conversations and write down the terms they use because that's, that should be your marketing copy because now you're speaking the language of your target audience and they're going to know that you understand their problem. Do you consider yourself a specialist? I don't call myself a specialist. Um, but I mean, I specialize in certain things. Um, I've been working with WordPress for 14 years. Uh, I've been working with WordPress almost as long as WordPress has been around. So am I a WordPress specialist? I guess so. Um, I've been teaching for 10 years. Can I show people how to teach or can I at least show them my teaching method? Uh, Yeah, 
I guess so. So I don't call myself that, but I wouldn't, if somebody categorized me that way, I wouldn't say they were wrong. How, one question that I actually had come up with another person um, who I was telling that I was going to interview you is they were sort of curious on how you do your pricing. And then actually, let me pause. Will you answer that with what you learned from Cabo? Yes. All right. So I, let me ask a different question. Let's, let's hit the brakes on that one. I know you've done some different things this year, and that's what leads me into the Cabo thing. You've done some different things this year that you've shared uh, just in some of our personal conversations that have really made a big difference in your business. Cabo Press seems to be one of those events um, that's helped you on a personal and a professional journey. First of all, so somebody that doesn't know, what's like the two-sentence pitch on what Cabo Press is? Cabo Press is a conference for business people. Uh, and it's used to be specifically around the WordPress space. But um, it's, let me rewind actually, because uh, I don't think I'm doing Cabo Press justice when I say that. Um, Cabo Press is like a hyper-targeted networking event. Um, the attendees are curated. The hosts are curated. And yes, there are sessions in the morning, but the big value comes from the conversations that you have outside or during those sessions, because even the sessions are supposed to be conversations. So you can think of it as like a, just a four-day ha- uh, hallway track in paradise. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay. All right. So that's what Combo Press is. And you can learn more. I'll just plug it right now. Or we're not getting paid for this or anything. I just know it's cool. So CaboPress.com if you want to learn more. So how many years have you attended so far? Uh, this past year was my second. Okay, the second time. Um, is it worth focusing any time on year one or is it better just for us to talk about year two? I think year one was insanely valuable to me. Um, and we already talked about it, right? Um, year one is where I decided I'm going to use mail, uh, use ConvertKit to understand my audience. Okay. Um, that's Cabo Press is what convinced me that I need to do that. And who convinced you? Was it a group of people or a specific conversation that you remember? I think it was kind of like the knock-on effect. The first, the first talk of the day of the of the week was Chris talking about understanding your users' lanes or user lanes, um, and understanding who your audience is, so you can better talk to them. And he mentioned ConvertKit and Drip and a couple of other ones. And then I was talking to other attendees later. Uh, Aaron Flynn specifically. Um, and she was talking about how she loves ConvertKit. And so I, I, she gave me her affiliate link. I was like, do you have a link? And she said, yeah. And I signed up right there, like in the pool. Things we can do with technology. <laughs> year two. How did year two make a difference? I feel like Chris looked at Joe Casabona and where his business is and what he learned in year one and then said, how can we improve it in year two? Uh, because in year two, we talked about personalization. So this, this is airing at the end of 2018. I've heard more than once, 2019 will be the year of personalization. Uh, so we're, we've been talking about getting the message down, right? Like getting your messaging right for your target audience. I now know who my audience is and I need to talk to them in the way that they want to be talked to. Um, so part of that was... Uh, who cares if you're using WordPress for this course? That's not the problem they're trying to solve. Maybe they even have a uh, predisposition against WordPress. 
So don't tell them you're using WordPress. Just tell them you're going to launch, you're going to help them launch their podcast in three days. That's the thing that they want to know. Um, so there was that. Then there was the messaging around my identity. I was talking to a guy, Justin Wise. He's like, what are your problems? Like, what are your big problems? Uh, tell me about yourself. And uh, I was like, well, I make online courses. Uh, basically, I was a developer. I taught at the University of Scranton. I was moving and I wanted to keep teaching. He goes, you're a college professor. I'm like, yeah. He's like, does it say that anywhere in your bio on your website anywhere? And I'm like, nope. He goes, why aren't you telling people that? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, so there was that. And then there's the, 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 the question about pricing. Um, I, I was pricing my courses at, you know, between 20 and 50 bucks. Um, and multiple times I was told, why are you charging so little? If you charge $300, $400 for a course, you're still charging 10% of what a developer would pay to set up a website for them. So you are saving them time. You are saving them money. You're, you're delivering this amount of value, right? Yes. So you're, again, going back to the very first lesson I learned in business, um, my prices needed to communicate the value that I was providing to the student. You know, I was going to say, like, I, I worked at this deli in New yeah. York, and I remember distinctly this guy was like, Jeff, yeah. your prices. <laughs> it's so interesting because all of the less, I, I feel like, have you ever heard of the phenomenon that you, you say in one room you need to remember something, but then as soon as you walk through the doorway, you forget it? Like, this is like, this is apparently a phenomenon that happens uh, where, um, because you are changing contexts, uh, you kind of forget the things that you were just thinking about. And I feel like that happened in business for me. I moved from a client services business to a product business and then promptly forgot all of the important lessons I learned in the client services business, like mm -hmm. charge the right price, like build the relationship first um, and, and, and stuff like that. So it, it, it was really interesting relearning those lessons in a much shorter time frame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I know of the phenomenon of your wife telling you something for years <laughs> and then some other business friend of yours mentions the exact same thing and then you listen <laughs> and then your wife tells you about how she's been telling you for years. I know that phenomenon. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I've, had, I've had a lot of that happen where okay. like my, my wife's just awesome and she will see something way before me. And for whatever reason, like I just don't hear or act or whatever it is. And then it's like, I don't know, four months later of the same people telling me this stuff all the time. And then I'm like, I had this great idea. And she's like, I told you that idea like four months ago. <laughs> it's the best. It's almost become like a trolling joke at this point. <laughs> what about otherwise this year? Have you had any other what you felt like? I don't want to blow up the Cabo realizations too much, but have you had any other like life changing moments or or? conversations or conferences that you went to that you walked away from and you knew like my business will be better because of this? Yeah. I, so I think that Cabo press is, is really the, the one that drives home this fact because again, Chris curates everything, the audience, the, uh, the hosts. And so he knows what people are looking for and what is being taught. Um, but that said, podcast movement this year was also insanely valuable for me um, because I got to see, I, I've told you this before, I think privately, maybe I've said it publicly. Um, 
people at Podcast Movement were way more interested in the fact that I was a developer than the fact that I was a podcaster. Because everybody at Podcast Movement is a podcaster or an aspiring podcaster. Um, but very few people are web developers and fewer people were WordPress developers. And just getting that perspective of, I had such a hard time with my website. Uh, what would you recommend to fix it? Somebody said, actually, he's, he is a current coaching uh, client of mine. He, at the conference, he said, I will gladly pay you hourly to show me how to do specific things with my website. And he is doing that. Like he followed up on that. Um, and so I think that was monumentally helpful uh, in figuring out exactly who, who Joe Casabona is in a post-developer uh, life, you know, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. That was really, that's weirder than I normally word things, but I think it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I heard Cabo Press did some really good things for you. It sounds like Podcast Movement, what you and I attended together um, and were able to hang out there, like that was able to give you some insight, kind of going back to the target audience of if you want to service the podcast community, that would be one very natural way for you to do it and give you some insight there. Do you feel like, um, have you had it? What are some other ways, I guess, that you try to improve or to learn? So conferences are one of them. Is there anything else that stand out to you this week? Conversations, books, online courses? I try to consume all of those and don't consume enough of any of them. Um, except for conversations. I love having conversations. Part of the reason I started this podcast is because I was having conversations and I thought, well, this would be good public conversation. Um, and longtime listeners will know that I'll say specifically during the interview, this is, this is for me and hopefully it's helpful for other people too. Um, I'm, I am learning from my guests while creating this content. Um, and, uh, it's, I love that because I think it's it's natural. I think the audience, the listeners get to hear my surprise and delight um, in learning something new in the moment. But I think, I mean, this show has been very valuable for me in that aspect too. But yeah, I try to read a lot. Uh, I try to take online courses. I've been trying to be better about that because I offer them. So now I I kind of treat it as I'm learning a new skill, but also I'm getting ideas for how to improve my own. A hundred percent. It's so funny. I'm, I'm going to go back to another story of my wife and I. We just went down to South Carolina to um, visit some family for Thanksgiving because I was right around the time of this recording. And like what you just said in terms of how you see things and how you watch on one hand, you're just kind of watching it however anyone else would just for the the sheer entertainment value or for the knowledge you're gaining but then there's also this element for me also being a podcaster and for creating content and especially like I'm really interested in the public speaking side of things like I'll watch people for not only what they're saying but how they're saying it and how they go about and their execution and if they did a good job in that sense and I was laying we're just both at the hotel laying on the bed and uh my wife turned on a video, I think from Vice, and they were talking about like the living situation in China. But there's something about it. Like within the first few moments of the music they were using, I knew I'm like, this is some sort of awesome documentary piece. And I like rolled over and then quickly started watching with her. And then <laughs> she knew that I was like, she's like, did you even like it? Like, did you even like the content or did you just think it was a cool story? And I'm like, yes, it was both. And so having a handle on both of those things uh, i think i think that's a really cool point 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, I mean, since podcast movement, there was really good advice there, but then I started listening to uh, some well-known podcasters. And so again, longtime listeners will notice that I started introing the episodes instead of just going right into the music and the, um, and the sponsors essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was something I picked up from Pat Flynn uh, and advice that was given during one of the talks. I think that both you and I attended, I think the one where radio people critique podcasters. Mm-hmm. Um, they said you basically have 30 to 60 seconds to hook a listener. Yeah. Um, and you spend like 30 of it with intro music. Right. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, there were some, some real changes that went through the show uh, after podcast movement and those conversations and, and then listening to podcasts from people that I met at podcast movement. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's really, really good. So as we start to wind out our time, uh, I'm going to spin back to you the question that you ask everybody else. What is one trade secret that you have for our listener? And I do not want you to share the same one that you did with the podcasting stuff, like specifically for these things you're doing now, for the goals that you're shooting for, what is one trade secret you're comfortable sharing? Trade secret. You should have saw this coming, man. Yeah, I know. Well, I I definitely should have. Um, That's also like my favorite part of the interview when people just like do the whole trade secret and like really think (laughs) about it. Um. You'll have to refresh my memory. I don't remember what I gave as the trade secret. In you told I disagreed with you, to be honest. You said okay. everybody should podcast. You should start a podcast now, and it's time-consuming, but it's not hard. And I was like, mm, I don't know mm. about that one, but yeah, that, yeah, I probably should have picked my wording because it, it's 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 not a learned. Well, it is a learned skill. It's not a uh, starting a podcast isn't hard. Running right. a good podcast is incredibly yeah, hard. That, yeah, that's exactly right. That, that, that's exactly what it is. Uh, so, um, so I mean, based on the stuff that we've talked about today, um, I think maybe the trade secret, the thing that has helped me the most uh, in, in the last 17 years of business and then starting my own and getting that running start is build your network. I, I know that, uh, it's it's hard to start a conversation sometimes. I think it's hard to start a conversation sometimes too. I always open with a joke. Um, I make <laughs> like some crack and then we start talking. You know, I, I start talking to somebody. Um, but that has been hugely helpful. Um, I met Sean and Chris and, and a group of people at Pressnomics because they were smoking cigars and I just walked over and I said, hey, mind if I join you? And then we started talking. Uh, or, and, and the same thing, you know, if you go to an after party, you're at a bar, Hey, mind if I join you? Um, you don't have to drink, you don't have to smoke. It's just a, a way to, to meet new people and build that network and provide value for that network, right? Don't just be a leech, um, make it a symbiotic relationship. Um, so if it, I think that's the most important thing that's helped me and that is my trade secret. Cool. I'll take it. All right, you have been listening to How I Built It. If you want to listen to more episodes about how entrepreneurs built the products and services that they've come across, you can listen in at howibuilt.it. 
And then also, I'll just plug myself a little bit. I've been your host. My name is Jeff Large. If you enjoyed this interview, I invite you to come on over to my podcast, jefflarge.com forward slash podcasting. I interview a lot of people in the same fashion that I did Joe on this uh, episode. And it's just like you said earlier, um, the amount of knowledge and things that you're able to glean from these people is tremendous. And then the podcast just becomes an avenue to share really, really amazing conversations. Thanks so much to Jeff for doing that. That was a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, having the tables turned a little bit and getting to tell a little bit more of, of my story. Jeff is an excellent interviewer, of course, and so uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to him. Uh, in the show notes for this episode, I will link to his stuff, his uh, podcast bites, uh, and the interview that I did with him uh, again earlier uh, this year. So uh, you can go ahead and, and listen to his story as well. Uh, so that's it for this episode and this year. Uh, thanks so much for making 2018 the best year for the podcast yet. I will see you in 2019. And until then, get out there and build something. <laughs>